Hello, everyone. Welcome back to SALT Talks. My name is John Darcy. I'm the Managing Director of SALT, which is a global thought leadership forum at the intersection of finance, technology, and public policy. And again, I'm, I'm excited to be back in SALT HQ today in Manhattan as we start to get back to normal a little bit. Uh, it's great to be here with the, the SALT logo behind me in our little SALT conference room. So I hope everyone out there is, is safe and healthy as well. Assault Talks are a digital interview series we've been doing during this work from home period with leading investors, creators, and thinkers. And what we're really trying to do during the Salt Talks series is replicate the experience that we provided our Salt Conference series, which is to provide a platform for what we think are big, important trends and ideas that are shaping the future, as well as to provide our audience a window into the minds of subject matter experts. We're very excited today to uh, welcome our audience to the second episode of the Voice of Cannabis series, where we bring together leaders and innovators from the front lines of the fast-growing cannabis industry to talk about cannabis politics, cannabis regulation, and the business of cannabis. Today's episode is titled Congress and Cannabis, and it's in partnership with Fourth Wall Advisory, a strategic marketing advisory firm focused on the cannabis industry, as well as Canopy Growth Corporation, a leading international cannabis company. Hosting today's talk is Jason Wilson, who's a principal at Fourth Wall, and as well as being a cannabis banking expert. With more than 15 years of experience in the asset management, finance, and structured product space, Jason has a track record of bringing hard-to-access asset classes to market. He's been working in connection with the legal cannabis industry for the past decade and continues to be one of the leading experts in the space. If you have any questions during today's talk, just a reminder, you can post them in the Q&A box at the bottom of your video screen. Uh, and with that, I'm going to turn it over to Jason to host today's interview. Thanks, John. Ple pleasure to be on with you guys again, and, and glad you're back in the office and hopefully some semblance of normality down there. Um, you know, today's episode is, is in many ways a continuation of the topics and issues we discussed on our Essential Canvas panel we did back in June. Now, hard to believe that's almost three months ago. A, lot, a lot's happened since then. Uh, but given the similarity of topics, we've actually decided to bring back those same expert panelists with us today. So uh, joining us is David Culver, who is uh, Vice President of U.S. Government and Stakeholder Relations at Canopy Growth Corp. Uh, we also have Patrick Martin, Principal of Cozen O'Connor back with us, and as well, uh, Eric Huey, who's the President of Platinum Advisors, is joining us. So thank you all, gentlemen, in advance for joining us today. Great to have you back. Um, David, why don't we kind of kick things off with you, you know, looking, looking at the landscape, a lot has happened in the last three months, but, but particularly with, I guess, the Act. Like, what is happening there? I understand we have another vote coming up. What's happening with co-sponsorships? What kind of momentum have, have we seen happen with respect to the Act? Yeah, thanks, Jason. Uh, first of all, thanks uh, to the folks at SALT uh, for hosting this again. It's great to be back uh, with all of you. And Jason, thanks to you uh, for moderating today. Uh, good to see you, Mr. Martin and uh, Mr. Huey. I know we get to see each other on a fairly regular basis, but nice to be on the panel with you uh, both as well. Uh, Jason, the, the MORE Act is indeed the question of the day. Uh, I'm here in Washington, DC, and it's what the media is completely focused on um, in the cannabis space and probably will be for the next uh, week plus. But let me back up just a little bit. It's been three months since we've spoken to you and to the audience. And uh, probably the most important thing to make note of is that the MORE Act now has 111 co-sponsors as of this morning. And uh, this is um, over 30 more than where we were three months ago. 
So all of the cannabis advocacy groups that have been uh, up on the Hill talking to members about this have done a really good job in terms of building that co-sponsor number. Uh, the other thing that's happened is that you saw in late August notification from House leaderships, two notifications actually, one stating that uh, the MORE Act was going to come to the floor uh, in September, and then that notification was immediately followed by another one that said that it was going to come to the floor on the week of September 21st, which is next week, uh, which is why this is such a, a timely question that you're asking. Um, <clears throat> now, having said all of that, there have been some rumblings, and this is me speculating, I don't have anything concrete, but there have been rumblings uh, both inside the media and uh, from my contacts on Capitol Hill uh, regarding some levels of discomfort within inside the Democratic caucus about bringing this bill to the floor for a vote prior to the election. And there's a number of groups out there that um, we've heard could be concerned. The, the most prominent, of course, is the frontline members. And these are members of the House of Representatives that are uh, the, the targeted races uh, for this 2020 election cycle. And I think that uh, those members are already uh, going to have a difficult race and are concerned about the electability of cannabis. Um, I, of course, don't agree with that uh, particular assessment at all. I've talked many, many times openly about how important I see cannabis as a, an election issue uh, for anybody that wants to run on it. Um, but that aside, there is some levels of discomfort. We've also got some more conservative members like the Blue Dogs. Um, and uh, also some freshman members that we've heard maybe having some concern as well, primarily because they just never dealt with Canvas as an issue before. So I understand all that. Uh, there also was a comment yesterday that Representative Hoyer made to the Washington Post that uh, was, was tweeted out. Uh, he's the number two uh, in leadership in the House of Representatives. And basically he said that uh, the House needs to stay focused on the continuing re resolution and also on COVID relief. Um, and maybe not so much on cannabis, but they backtracked that a bit this morning uh, and their office made the statement very clear that this bill is still uh, on the schedule for next week. So uh, we are still very hopeful as all of our advocacy friends are that uh, we do see this voted on next week. Um, I wanted to touch just very quickly, if I could, on two more quick things related to this bill. Uh, one is that we spent a lot of time last time talking about the regulations within the MORE Act and just general ideas around federal regulations and cannabis. The MORE Act has a structure in its original form that would basically um, yield to, to the tobacco model, which tobacco and cannabis are very, very different products and cannabis is going to need its own regulatory structure. And since we last spoke, there has been a great deal of appetite uh, on the Hill with the committees of jurisdiction to talk about that regulatory structure. And I don't know what we're going to see uh, in the MORE Act if it comes to the floor next week uh, in terms of uh, some new regulatory structure, but those conversations have begun. Uh, if the bill is to stall this, this Congress and we have to address it next year, we're going to spend a lot of time talking to the House and Senate leaders about this. And then the final thing I'll say is that because we are so close uh, to uh, this bill potentially coming to the floor, if you are interested in cannabis and you are at home, please pick up the phone and call your member of Congress let them know that this is a bill that's important to you. You want to see Congress vote on it and you want to see it passed. Uh, your voice is much more important than mine as a constituent and I encourage everybody that's watching to go ahead and do that. You know, it, it's not surprising at all. I guess given what's at stake, we'd have competing viewpoints, competing interests. Um, and, you know, it's not going to be uh, an easy road to legalization, no question. 
But, you know, Patrick, when, when you turn to you for a little bit, what's your perspective on how recent events will, will affect the chance of success for the Morag passing and getting through, like specifically with respect to COVID-19 and what that could mean? Sure, absolutely. And thank you uh, so much to, to Saul for having us back to talk about this, this very exciting uh, topic. Um, I think David hit the nail right on the head when he said that, you know, there is just some concern within the Democratic caucus, not so much around the substance of the legislation, but around the timing of it. Uh, leadership is hearing from frontline members who are running in moderate to conservative districts that they're worried about the perception that if Congress and the White House don't reach a larger agreement on a COVID-19 relief bill, that the House Democrats will look distracted and off base passing a cannabis legalization bill without addressing what they consider to be the larger concerns first. What David and Eric and others and I who work on this every day have been saying is that just isn't true at all. When you look at states and localities that are suffering because of COVID-19 and are desperately looking to Washington for economic relief, a cannabis legalization bill provides a tool to get economic dollars to the states. Look at the tremendous success that states that have legalized cannabis are having just from a, a pure economic standpoint. The numbers in my home state in Illinois and medical have been staggering, particularly throughout COVID-19. And Everything that the national conversation has centered around with race and policing reform and inequality, this bill addresses that too uh, in a very serious way. So I would say to anyone on Capitol Hill, any member of Congress, anyone who doesn't think that the timing is right for this bill, the timing is exactly right for this bill. This is us meeting the moment and addressing a true injustice and quite frankly, taking a bold and important stand uh, on behalf of, of this industry and on behalf of consumers who want to see this pass. So, so maybe a great time to actually have the political will to, to be able to get this through. Absolutely. And, and I would add, uh, to answer your question as well, I, the thing I would add is that this, this legislation will provide a tremendous amount of energy to core Democratic voters that we need to come out in November. So to those members who are nervous, about this not being a net positive. I've never seen a poll in the history of cannabis that doesn't show that it isn't popular. And it's incredibly popular young, among young people and people of color. Two voting blocks, the Democrats aren't gonna win anything in November if we are not motivated and excited in those communities to go out and vote. Eric, touching on voters quickly, like what are we seeing demographically? We know millennials are, are, are big supporters for sure, but, but what are we seeing in, you know, across other demographics? You know, what's amazing about about this this issue is uh, it transcends party. Um, it has almost as much uh, support on the Republican side as the Democratic side, not quite as much, but but almost as much across um, socioeconomic lines, across um, gender lines, and 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 across uh, age lines. So. Um, You've seen 66% of Americans think that, that uh, recreational uh, cannabis should be legal right now across America. And when you break that down um, by various strata uh, and you look at the cohort of 65 and older, these folks have doubled their amount of cannabis um, uh, 
intake and, and, and purchasing in the last five years. So people over 65 have purchased twice the amount of cannabis uh, in the last five years as they did, had prior to that, because nobody remembers, or people should remember that this is the Woodstock generation. These are people who grew up, who came of age with cannabis when it was illegal. And now that it's legal again, they're, um, they're, they're, rediscovering it and they may be rediscovering it in, 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 um, in flower form, but they also may be rediscovering it through beverages or sublinguals or edibles or a whole range of different uh, different um, uh, intake methods. So this is something that, that, that transcends um, all, all age groups and people up and down the, um, uh, the socioeconomic scale. And I think policymakers would be remiss if they don't catch on to this. America's already there, right? This train has left the station. We are past the tipping point. The only people who aren't there are, the, are a lot of state and federal policymakers who still, for some reason, um, uh, can't quite um, get behind um, uh, cannabis. But, but this is this is something that um, it's to their political disadvantage if they don't do it, particularly as you look at it, it's some of, of, of the key battleground states. You look at Ohio, 62 percent, Arizona, 62 percent, um, you know, even even, you know, some, some states like Missouri, it's 52 percent. So these are these are places you wouldn't ordinarily expect. Um, but but America is there. So um, it's, it's time for the policymakers to, uh, to to meet the people where they are. America's there. Apparently, it's, it's an incredible statistic you have with respect to those 65 years old and old, older. And I guess that explains Martha's are coming up with Canopy. <laughs> Jason, I just want to add something. I think it's an incredibly important point. The, the conversation around, is it a political disadvantage to do this before the election? I think punting on it could be a real political disadvantage. And Eric, for the reasons he just laid out, is exactly right. If you show the the voters that we need to come out that this isn't a priority or that we think it's too politically difficult that really could hurt us and i think that needs to get talked about just as much as uh what certain frontline members are saying about their fears about well and 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 you know the the other thing obviously we're hearing loud and clear is social justice reform right so that's that's here's yet another opportunity and again i, I guess to your point the more act present, presents a great way to help address some of those injustices. So again, passing on it would, would seem to uh, you know, be a massive disservice. Like what, what's happening on the Hill with respect to social justice reforms? Is Congress actually doing enough? Are we, what we can you know, get us up to speed a bit? Sure, so uh, it was a, a busy summer uh, in terms of the legislative process, looking at some of these issues. The House of Representatives passed a policing reform bill that was written by the Congressional Black Caucus. It got some Republican votes as well. Um, the Senate had their own process in coordination with the White House that was not able to produce uh, a bill that passed. But the conversation has continued to be top of mind for lawmakers and, and the general public. We see news stories every week about policing issues uh, that are causing great anxiety uh, in communities all across this country. And I think there's a recognition that both on this issue of cannabis, cannabis and legalization and on policing reform that Congress needs to act and needs to do something to address the injustices that, that we all see. Unfortunately, uh, just like we're seeing with the COVID relief bill, um, the politicians are not able to, to get on the same page and, and do this. And it's unfortunate because it needs to happen now. Jason, Eric, yeah, you had a lot to say on the matter before. What, what's your, your view? Yeah, building on Patrick's point, um, this, is a, this is a critical issue in um, communities of color, right? Um, where 
uh, black men are arrested at four times the rate of, of white men, despite only being 12% of the, of, of the population. Uh, so if probable cause is the color of your skin, and if um, the, the allegation of, some, of, of a police officer um, you know, smelling marijuana is, is the pretense for, the, for, for, for that interaction with the, with the police, if we can decriminalize that, we are going to, um, we, we are going to stop disinvesting in an entire strata of, of, of people. We spend $3.5 billion annually in this country on marijuana enforcement. Um, we arrest 600,000 people a year, disproportionately black and brown, in this country in cannabis. And can you think of a bigger waste of resources than that? We've got real issues uh, that, that we need to be tackling and taking key, uh, taking key members of our society out of, of, of public circulation over something that is legal in 33 states uh, for, for medical and, and, and 11 states plus the District of Columbia for, for, for recreational is, um, it's, it's almost unthinkable, but there's a, it's morally unjustified, it's morally wrong. And I would posit that um, for politicians looking at this, there is a moral imperative for them to act. You know, David, from a, from a business perspective, industry perspective, how, how is the industry responding? When you guys are a leader in the space, what, what are you seeing in, in this arena? How, how, is, how is the social justice reform enacting any kind of change? Yeah, well, first of all, I, I think that uh, the comments that Eric and Patrick both made on this are so critically important. Um, <clears throat> it's really easy for me from a corporate perspective to talk about uh, what this could mean in terms of jobs post-pandemic, most likely, but uh, post-pandemic and post-legalization, uh, what those nationwide job numbers could look like, what, uh, how this could help um, fill budget deficits and state capitals all across the country, because we all know that they're growing exponentially. Um, and just be a general uh, new engine as we begin to restart this economy as we come out of the pandemic. But the harder thing for me uh, to talk about is social justice. The harder thing for my company to talk about is social justice, but it's something that we do talk about every day. And these two gentlemen that are with me, we are up on the Hill and in state capitals talking about this because you cannot have legalization without tackling that social justice a piece of the puzzle. And the MORE Act does a very good job of that. Um, let me just share a personal story with you. I've got a uh, uh, little video series that I do every two weeks that's called Under the Canopy. And we primarily focus on Capitol Hill and on state regulators. And I'll give you a sneak peek into who's coming up next week. Uh, it's a woman that I um, spoke to that uh, she was um, imprisoned for a nonviolent cannabis offense uh, shortly, about four years after she she graduated from college. Uh, she was involved in a, um, she had a minor role in a distribution um, operation. Again, no criminal record. And she was sentenced to 87 months in prison. Let me just pause for a minute and you soak that in. 87 months, no criminal record, nonviolent cannabis offense. Uh, it's, it's just alarming for me to listen to it. She had good behavior. She served uh, five years of the sentence and was released. She had all sorts of issues related to re-entry into the, into both personally and professionally. Uh, and this type of story, she's, she is a person that experienced firsthand why the war on drugs does not work. And this type of story uh, has got to end. We, we can't have this again, um, can't have these anymore. And I think that uh, that's part of the reason why the MORE Act is so important 
And I want her message when we put it out there next week to be the thing that the legislators hear first and foremost, because it's easy again to talk about the jobs and the economic benefit. That's a no brainer. Uh, but this part is hard. And uh, that's really what elected officials need to hear. And they need to have the courage to move this type of legislation to deal with this problem. And it's not easy, but it's what they need to do. And Jason, every 30 seconds in America, somebody is arrested for a cannabis offense. We've been talking for about 20 minutes. So that means since we've started, 40 people across our country have been arrested for, for cannabis. And those people, they, they're going to have records that are not going to be expunged unless things like the Moore Act passes. So again, this is a moral imperative. And to put a finer point on what Eric just said, to, to address the issue we talked about on, on the last uh, series we did, the people that Eric just referenced don't look like Eric and David and I. Um, we don't know what that's like to be a person of color and to know that you're going to get unfairly targeted. You know, growing up uh, in the Chicago suburbs, I have a lot of friends who would have broken taillights and cannabis in their car. None of them ever got pulled over. Um, this is unfairly policed and we cannot have a conversation about criminal justice reform and policing reform in this country without addressing the issue of cannabis. No, it's a, a continuation of massive repression. It's, 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 and you know, you mentioned 40 people since we've been speaking, that's 40 people times five, eight, 10 years. I mean, it's complete destruction of, of not just an individual's life, but their, their family, you know, sons, daughters, parents. It's, it's, uh, it's unfathomable actually. And, and you know, so like, how, how can this not be a major part of, of, of the federal election of, of, you know, looking at the Democratic Republicans, what, what, are they, what are they saying? What, how big is this going to be with respect to the pres, uh, presidential race? Well, I think the key thing to, to note about this particular presidential election, and we talked about it a little uh, on our last series, you have two uh, nominees from the major parties who are white 70-something who came of age at a time when this was viewed a lot differently. And so you have to, to contend with that at the presidential level for how much coverage this issue is gonna get among the two major candidates. But with the momentum of something like the Act passing in the House of Representatives, with Vice President Biden's selection of Kamala Harris as his running mate, who has been a leader on this issue in Congress, and with the general public in the states that this has passed through ballot initiatives, state legislatures continuing to say, we wanna see change, this is truly going to be a grass, move, grassroots movement issue, and the people are going to force the politicians to pay attention to this. So I think it will continue to be an issue. You saw it in the primaries. This became a major issue for the vice president uh, because his position at the time was just not consistent with the other candidates. And I think uh, if he's fortunate enough to win in November, you're going to see that play out uh, as he begins to, to govern. You know, so much momentum, so much at stake. David, does, does it really matter who, who's president? Is, is, is it really more about the Senate? Like, is, is that the roadblock here? I mean, it, there's all this momentum. Is whoever is in power going to say, if it makes it, you know, if it makes it all the way through to the president, are they just going to go yes? Or, you know, what's happening there? Yeah, well, I, I think that the momentum uh, in the cannabis space is going to continue next year, no matter who is president of the United States. Um, my eyes are primarily on the U.S. Senate. And, you know, you, you asked in your question there about if the Senate flips. Um, I think that the Democratic leader, uh, Senator Schumer from New York, has made it very clear uh, that cannabis is going to be a priority for him. 
And if he's the leader next year and Nancy Pelosi stays uh, Speaker of the House, which uh, all indicators point to the fact that she will, uh, then I do think we're gonna see some sort of full legalization package um, come out in the first six months and sent to the president's desk. I don't think it's unrealistic to say that at all. Uh, this is assuming, of course, that things stall this year. Um, so, you know, action in the Senate uh, related to the MORE Act, if it is to pass uh, in September, is still unknown. Um, and I'm not sure what kind of appetite they'll have. But I do think that if the political winds keep blowing as they are now and the Senate does flip, uh, then we'll see something in the first six months. So um, I, uh, the big unknown, of course, is if it does arrive on Biden's desk or Trump's desk, do either one of them sign it? And to Eric's point or to Patrick's point earlier, uh, Biden's going to already have to start to think about his left flank um, when he gets on day one of being elected, both for the 2022 election and for his own reelect if he chooses to, to go that route. Uh, so he's going to need to protect himself uh, from that left flank. And there's no better way to do it uh, than with cannabis. We've already seen it, as referenced earlier in this chat, during the primaries, because countless members were primary from the left, and so many of them led with the cannabis issue. But we don't know exactly. My gut says that either one of these men that are president uh, would go ahead and just stand out of the way and let it happen if Congress chooses to act. Um, and also, I should point out that at this point in January of next year, uh, let's say it takes Congress three or four months to act, we could legitimately be coming out of the pandemic and both either men, uh, either man would be looking for jobs and for um, tax revenue for state capital. So uh, cannabis is going to be a brand new industry and will generate a lot of both. Uh, so those are really the main things that are on my mind related to the, the Senate. Good question. So regardless of the outcome and, and when it happens, obviously it doesn't stop momentum at the state level and, and notwithstanding what happens at the federal level, presumably still be up to the states to, to legalize or not. So you know, Eric, what, what, what's happening on the ballot with at the state level? Well, you've got um, ballot initiatives in five states. And what's interesting is four of them are red and rural states. You've got um, Arizona, South Dakota, uh, Montana, and Mississippi that all have ballot initiatives. Uh, and they're joined by New, New Jersey. Mississippi would, would, um, uh, would, would legalize medical uh, cannabis use. Montana, Arizona, and New Jersey already have legalized medical and they would transition uh, or add recreational use. And South Dakota would do them both at, 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 at the same time. The states often, uh, particularly over the last 10 years um, in an era of, of uh, that's often marked by um, uh, congressional intransigence, if not in action and in gridlock, that the states put themselves at the forefront. And you saw California lead on this issue very, very early and other states begin to follow. You also saw that um, on, on the gay marriage issue. As we said, 33 states have already um, enacted uh, medical marijuana um, as, as legal and, and 11 states uh, plus the District of Columbia have, Columbia have legalized uh, recreational cannabis. So when you look at the degree to which this is turned, you have to look no farther than, 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 than Montana. Montana is hardly known as a, a, a uh, blue coastal state. Nevertheless, four years ago, 60% of Montanans opposed legalizing cannabis in any form. Now 54% of Montanans uh, 
agree with the proposition that it should be available for recreational use in their state. That's in the span of, 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 of four years. You've heard me joke, Jason, that, 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 that libertarians are just Republicans who smoke pot. You know, there are a lot of, I mean, this does cross party lines and, uh, and it crosses geographic lines as well. So I think in at least three of those states, Montana, Arizona, and New Jersey, the numbers are in the, are, are in the, the 50s and 60s. It's going to pass, right? Um, Mississippi, you know, measure 65 in Mississippi, it's unclear. It's still Mississippi. Um, uh, and, and then ballot measure um, 26 and Amendment A in, 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 in South Dakota, which are the medical and the recreational uh, ballot measures, those are likely to pass in South Dakota. And then you're at a point where uh, the overwhelming majority of the American people live in states where this is legal. And the, and, and the overwhelming majority of states have now legalized. So then again, what is the federal government waiting for? Yeah, and Jason, if I can just add to that, just to reiterate the point that we've made previously, Eric just rattled off three red states, very red states. And the whole idea here is that if we can get states that are red uh, to, to legalize, whether medical or recreationally, then it puts a lot of um, pressure on their federally elected officials to follow suit. And you need to look no further than uh, Senator Cory Gardner from Colorado. Um, who has you know, become a champion in the cannabis space, uh, but wasn't at the beginning of the process. So you know, as more and more states tackle this, more and more red states, uh, it's gonna be more and more of a bipartisan issue and give those legislators more freedom uh, to vote in favor of cannabis because their constituencies already want it. Yeah, and I would, I would add, you build on David's point earlier about this being a win for the state coffers. These coffers have been decimated by, by, um, for tax revenues uh, by, by the coronavirus. When you look at the numbers involved, the project, projections for, for New Jersey alone are close to a billion dollars uh, in, in sales by um, 2024, 800 million dollars in, 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 in Arizona, even in South Dakota, you're looking, you're looking at 200 million dollars. So the numbers are there. And in, in addition to, to tax revenues based off those sales, you're also, as David said, you're creating an industry and you're creating jobs. So there's a fiscal component to it, but there's also an, an investment component to this. And these jobs are not just going to take place in, in the large cities in the States. It's going to be throughout the, the, the smaller, smaller towns. Yeah, look at what David's company accomplished in Smith Falls, Ontario, which could be so similar to, to many industrialized cities in the U.S. and the economic ecosystem that they built. In the wake of COVID-19 and the continued changes that our economy has gone through from manufacturing to consumer to technology, there are cities crying out for some type of investment. Uh, and this is going to be a real opportunity for them. And I think everyone is going to be open to ideas uh, because we're at a time of tremendous economic change and recovery. Uh, yeah, you, you hit it right on the head. Uh, not, not just Smith Falls in Ontario. I mean, McCanthy's done in upstate New York as well, obviously, very, very yeah. well. But one, more, one more question for you guys, and we'll pass it over to John for, for Q&A. Uh, and, and it kind of touches on what we had with episode one uh, just this shortly is, you know, what does the... <laughs> The regulatory the legislation that actually comes through that you know how it's shaped what what are we seeing from you know an industry like call it industry unity if you will how are we making sure that whatever is you know passed as law is effective i mean we've obviously if you look at hemp and the farm bill and and there's a lot of confusion there with respect to the usda fda da what have you 
what, what's, what are we learning from that in the industry to, to prevent this, the same issues with respect to marijuana legalization? Yeah, Jason, uh, that's a good question to conclude on. Uh, it's something that I harp on all day, every day. Um, so I appreciate the, the question. I think that, um, first of all, we've seen a lot of really good collaboration within the industry and the advocacies um, related to the MORE Act. And the addition of the 30 plus co-sponsors in the last three months was a, was a big lift. Uh, I didn't know that we were going to be able to get over 100 and we're at 111 and I bet we get a, a bunch more before hopefully the vote next week. Uh, so that took a lot of unity to do that. But uh, we still have multiple voices that are here uh, in, in DC and also in state capitals. It would be better if we had a singular voice for the industry so that we can advocate with one voice related to the regulatory structure, all the pieces of that. Um, but I really see this as, uh, there's so many parallels, but I see this as almost like uh, the, the, the highway, um, before they, they wrote the highway bill, you had the two trucking associations that were competing and they came together as one uh, and they decided to, to merge because they knew they needed one singular voice to be effective. And we could be in the position next year that the full legalization package goes through if the political winds are right um, and you have the right leadership there. And if that's the case, the industry must have a singular voice uh, in order for us to get this right. Because if we don't get the regulatory structure right, if we don't get the social justice right, if we don't get the tax rate right, uh, there's all sorts of things. Um, we're gonna spend the next umpteen decades cleaning up the mess uh, so I, it's something I'm working on right now, and I will continue to work on in preparation for next year. And that, that's a critical question. And David's leadership on this at Canopy and Canopy's leadership has been has been incredible. The level of sophistication that they have brought to, 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 to this entire industry uh, has lifted the entire industry. But what we're seeing across the industry is, is, is um, uh, a, a growing level of involvement and integration into the political process at the state and federal level. I think five years ago, if you asked most policymakers what the cannabis industry looked like, they would say it looks like the park lot at a fish concert. And now um, when they see it's more suits than ponytails, they're, they're, they say, wait, wait a second, this is going to be a $56 billion industry. It now employs a quarter million people, four times as many people as the coal industry. Wow, how do I get this in our state? So there is a transformation both within the industry, but also how the industry is perceived on Capitol Hill. Excellent. Gentlemen, thank you a ton for your, for your time, your views, your perspectives. As always, great to have you on. And um, just want to thank you before we go over to Q&A, because probably won't get a chance to sign off, but uh, John, I'll turn it over to you. Answer right. any questions. So we, we have some great audience engagement so far. Reminder to anybody watching, if you have additional questions, you can post them in the Q&A box at the bottom of your video screen uh, within the Zoom window. Our first question is obviously from an enthusiastic supporter of you know, cannabis legalization. Basically, the polling, the success you've seen in certain states, as well as citizen demand, seems to be off the charts and it feels like the dam from a public opinion perspective is either getting ready to break or has already broken. How as an individual in the country can somebody uh, become an activist and push for the type of change uh, that they'd like to see within cannabis regulation? Are there specific steps that someone can take to push their local legislators or become part of this movement? Absolutely. Uh, and it's a fantastic question uh, and love the enthusiasm behind it. As advocates every day, 
you know, David and Eric and I love uh, to remind folks in what we do every day that we're exercising our First Amendment right. My wife was a high school government teacher for a long time, and we always talk about how uh, high school students know many parts of the First Amendment, uh, particularly the right to free speech, but at the very end of that amendment is the right to petition your government. And it is a constitutional obligation that all of us have. Some of us uh, do it for a living, uh, but as a citizen who is passionate about an issue, uh, considering it not only uh, your responsibility and your obligation, uh, I think is the first step. So uh, get involved with advocacy organizations uh, that are promoting cannabis in your state and at the federal level, write letters to your elected representatives, uh, make phone calls on behalf of politicians who are leading on this issue and find as many possible ways, both in your public and private life to get involved on behalf of the things you care about, uh, because it makes a huge difference. And Eric brought up gay marriage uh, earlier as, as just a, a nice example of an issue that sped up so quickly in terms of how the public viewed it and how policymakers viewed it. And that was years and years of work that ultimately came from ordinary citizens advocating on its behalf. And that's what we're seeing in the cannabis industry. All of us are working very hard to do things like make sure that the MORE Act gets considered in Congress, but we would not be here uh, if it weren't for the millions of Americans who have invested their time and energy into making this an important part of, of their lives. Go to the house.gov, tell your Congressman to, that you want he or she to co-sponsor the MORE Act. You wanna see the house vote on it. You wanna see the body pass this important bit of legislation. I agree with everything Patrick said, but in terms of this week and next, go to your website, go to house.gov, figure out who your member is if you don't know, contact them directly and tell them this is important to you because your voice will resonate very loudly with them and their, their staff. Eric, you have anything to add or should we move on to the next question? Don't agonize, organize. There you go. <laughs> so we have a question uh, from an audience member who's, who seems to be a little bit less familiar with the space and they're asking, what percentage of the states that currently have you know, legalized cannabis, what is the breakdown of red versus blue states? And you alluded to this earlier, uh, David, but do you think the shortfalls that we're seeing in state budgets is going to be the tipping point where we see a lot more uh, Republican leadership in Congress and at the state level start supporting uh, cannabis legalization frameworks? Yeah, I'll start with that question and I can punt the rest of it back to Eric. Uh, I think he probably has the red to blue split better than I do, but uh, the bottom line is that every single state, doesn't matter whether they're red, blue, or purple, is facing right now massive uh, budget deficits because of the pandemic, and they're going to continue to grow, and they're going to have to do something about it. And we just heard uh, just yesterday, actually, I was watching on CNN, the governor from New Mexico talking about how uh, cannabis could plug a massive hole uh, in her state's budget deficit. So um, they're going to be looking under every single rock uh, for money. Uh, to fill that hole without raising taxes on those that are still suffering and struggling as a result of this pandemic. Uh, and I really think that uh, it's something that every single governor is going to be looking at, and it doesn't matter what their politics are. Governor Lamont Grisham, who you mentioned from New Mexico, she's a close advisor of, of President Biden, or prospective President Biden, Vice President mm -hmm. Biden, I should say. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She has his ear as well, so that, that could be another bullish uh, data point for cannabis regulation. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, listen, I, I think we'll let Eric comment on the red to blue split, but that's an important point because there are lots and lots of people that are around Vice President Biden right now 
that I've, have been publicly supportive of full legalization uh, and the social justice associated with it. And again, Patrick made the parallels to uh, marriage equality from 2008. They really do resonate again right now. Uh, and with that many people around him and those uh, so many in the party that are comfortable with cannabis as an issue, uh, I just I don't see how uh, the party doesn't um, embrace it further as time goes on. But Eric, let me yield to you on the, the question about the, the red and the blue. Yeah, on, on, in New Mexico, the governor of New Mexico said the biggest mistake of her governorship so far is not legalizing cannabis last year so they could have gotten ahead of this, of this coronavirus ep epidemic uh, and, and just from a sheer revenue standpoint. Um, you know, in, in terms of where uh, cannabis is legal for, um, for recreational use, it skews blue states. It's the Northeast, it's the West, um, it's Michigan, it's, it's Illinois, Colorado, and Washington, D.C. But when you look for medical use, uh, it's it's very red state in, 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 in intensive. And when you think about um, the opioid epidemic and the the impact that that has had on on you know my home state of, of, of West Virginia and other states like it, um, this is a way for people to deal with pain management and a whole PTSD and a whole range of, of medical conditions uh, and, and without resorting to to, to, to to opioids. And I think, in those red states where we have seen um, movement by policymakers, that's come from a recognition that, that there's a medical component to this that's very real, that's been researched, and that's critical to their, to their constituents. And also, frankly, from a, um, from, a, from a revenue and jobs perspective, they see this as, as, as a revenue. And so sort of the morality um, begins, begins to f fall away. And, and in my observation of the recent history of the Republican Party, where money meets morality, money always wins. So I suspect that more red states will continue in the direction the inexorable um, march of, 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 of canna cannabis legalization. And I would add where states implement uh, medical programs, that ultimately leads to a conversation around adult use. The, the blue states that Eric named that have adult use programs, all of them have medical programs. Um, and once people, this is just sort of human nature, once people start to see something, they know a veteran in their community who uses the medical program, um, they know that it's helping a senior, uh, you know, in their family deal with managing chronic pain and they become more comfortable with it. A conversation around adult use doesn't seem as, as scary anymore. And so that's why we're so excited to see all of these red states consider medical programs, because we know that that forward progress on cannabis, whether it's a medical program or adult use is all positive movement forward uh, for the movement. I'll insert a personal anecdote into this. So my wife's family, let's just say they're not exactly Bernie Sanders supporters. Um, there's a member of her family that uh, has cerebral palsy and they were very hesitant to uh, start using cannabis-based products to start treating some of the brain hyperactivity and, and other issues that he had. But once they started doing it and they listened to a couple of doctors that prescribed some cannabis-oriented products, it's done wonders for his quality of life. And they are uh, full believers in, in uh, cannabis-oriented products for medical use, and it's, it's been a fantastic uh, benefit to him and their family. Yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate you sharing that story because I think it's, it's such an important one. As we begin to normalize this uh, product across the country, this is not a partisan issue. Uh, this is about, people. forget about what your politics are. If it's helping people physically uh, with an ailment that they have, um, then it's something that 
uh, it doesn't matter what your politics are, whether you vote for Biden or whether you want to vote for Trump. Um, so I, I think that um, one of the most important things that Congress can also do, and they took the first step earlier this month by passing a research bill that was, re that was slightly amended that would allow for states that have legalized to let researchers use that plant material versus just the material coming out of uh, Mississippi, um, which is problematic in a number of ways, as you've read about in the newspapers for many, many years. Uh, so we're excited about that. We hope Congress gets that through. That then opens the door even further for more and more research into areas that can help people all across the country. So I'm gonna ask you guys a tough question here. We have a cannabis skeptic on the call who's asking uh, whether there have been studies and, and what current studies show in terms of health problems that could grow out of recreational cannabis use and possible declines in productivity. What's the latest data and what are the costs of more widespread cannabis use and would legalization even lead to uh, more widespread recreational use, for example? Yeah, I think all of us recognize, you know, the importance of making sure that health and well-being is a central part of the discussion with legalization. Um, you know, you've heard the vice president continue to say in his position, he wants it to be studied more. And David talked about uh, Congress acting on the research bill. I think all of us are of the belief that legalizing and regulating a product that we already know Americans are using is the most important thing we can do to ensure the consumers are, are abiding by the rules that will make sure that health is a, a part of the consideration. That's, you don't want a world in which people are just using products and they aren't regulated in the way that they should be. And so what David in particular at Canopy spends so much time doing is working with policymakers to say, we wanna do this in the right way, in a safe way. We wanna learn, we're learning more every day about the product and the benefits uh, that it has, but you can't do that when it's not legal. Um, so I think that's that's a really important part to, to all of this. And it's a great question. Yeah, John, I can just add to that too, that um, there are a number of products and I'll, I'll pick on our beverages that are coming to market that uh, these have no impact on the liver whatsoever. They have no hangover. They have no calories. Uh, so there's a lot of innovation that's coming onto the market that um, is very much in contrast to, to beverage alcohol and tobacco, uh, just to add that quick point to what Patrick said earlier. There's an aggressive testing regime in all the states where cannabis is, is legal. And the only, uh, the, the only entity or the, the, the only uh, food entity or anything else that, 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 that hits these standards is baby food. Right, so there, this is rigorously tested across seven or eight different data points, um, from microbials to fungus to uh, pesticides, and 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 they have very very rigorous standards. Standards that are so tough. Sometimes the reason that a product like a beverage may fail is because of of the other ingredients, the chocolate or 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 the uh, barley in 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 the in the uh, in the food stuff itself. So this is an industry that's highly highly regulated in the state have gotten this right. So any fears of any um, uh, health adverse health effects are not borne out by either studies or the regulatory regime. That's a, such an important point. All of the companies we work with recognize the need for a federal regulatory structure for it to be safe, for the products to be safe, for them not to get into the hands of kids. But we have products, food, beverages, things that are legal in this country that provide absolutely no benefit other than enjoyment 
cannabis has real benefits for patients and for users. That that is that is what makes it so different than a lot of the other products that it gets kind of lumped in with is the way that it helps, uh, you know, some of the people that I name, seniors that are managing pain, veterans who are dealing with anxiety. Uh, you know, John, the, the story you told about the uh, person in your family with cerebral palsy. I, I can't think of a lot of other products that we're talking about in the regulatory space that help uh, people in that way. All right, well, we'll leave it there. You know, it's a fascinating conversation. We look forward to continuing this series and hopefully continuing on the road to, as I mentioned before, the dam breaking if it hasn't already broken in terms of uh, everyone getting on board with the myriad benefits of uh, cannabis legalization. So we hope to uh, have you guys on in a year's time talking about uh, the landscape now that things have been legalized, but in the meantime, we'll continue to uh, inform our audience about what the implications could be if we can get that uh, legalization taken care of here, uh, hopefully in the next six to 12 months. But thanks everybody for joining. Thank you, Jason, for hosting. Uh, you have any final word for any of our uh, participants, Jason? Uh, no, just again, thanks for joining. And, uh, you know, hopefully your messaging, everyone is supportive, gets out to their, you know, appropriate representative, and we start enacting change. We need it right now.